Jeff Cohen. Really, really enjoyed talking to Jeff. Being accountable, or as he says, count on a bull. The idea is kind of changing it. Uh, you know, count, uh, being accountable sometimes has negative connotations about you know, did you do what you were supposed to do, and you know, kind of being rash and uh, micromanaging. But he has a completely different twist on that and leadership. Uh, very great. Uh, Great, engaging conversation. He's been a business person for a long time. We talked about some of his lows, about mortgaging his house to make payroll and some of the highs. He sold his company and went on to make another company and now he's on another one. But it's fascinating journey and 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 the kind of loneliness it is sometimes to be the entrepreneur and um, you know not treating employees very well sometimes but he's turned it all around now and he's, you know he's an adopted one-year-old and just just a wonderful heartwarming story and really enjoyed the conversation i mean he, he doesn't hold back uh and I, I enjoyed asking him about discipline and and accountability and how he measures success really great and he, wait to hear the story about shark tank he was on the very first year. He holds the record for something now. Uh, that's that's uh, never been done there at Shark Tank. Great, great story uh, there. First season of Shark Tank in Los Angeles. You're going to enjoy this conversation uh, with Jeff Cohen. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family, and their passion, and their careers, and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Really appreciate you doing this, Jeff. Great, great pleasure. So, why is accountability so important in, in leadership and in, in entrepreneurism? You know, it's not so important anywhere. It's mm. important everywhere. I mm. mean, if you just think about it, it's not just leadership and it's not just about um, doing a job, but just think about your responsibilities in life everywhere, everywhere that you have them. Look at your family relationships and what your spouse counts on you for. Look at your um, your relationship to friends and people that you know you might mentor. 
right? The thing is, is that accountability gets a bad rap. Hmm. If you look at the definition for accountability, it says something like to hold someone responsible. So I don't remember the last time that I actually liked or wanted to be held responsible. Um, it kind of feels like someone's holding a gun to your head, that statement, right? And we all know that that's not a place anybody wants to be. The last time you probably heard the word accountable um, was likely on the news, could have been last night, hmm. and someone was going to jail, or there was a politician that people didn't like, or something else. But it wasn't a good thing. Hmm. So, you know, I think the word accountable just has bad PR, because hmm. it's really empowering if it's done well. The reality is, is that I'm not going to change your mind and you're not going to change my mind about the way we perceive that word. We've all had our experience experiences about someone saying, you're responsible for this mess, right? We've all had that. So what I identified, and I'll be happy to share with you how all that came about, Please. What I, what I identified ultimately was people take great pride in telling you what they can be counted on for. Hmm. And if you really peel the onion back a few layers, you start noticing that the things they are count onable for, the things they can be counted on for, are things that they have strengths that support things that they're really good at. Also things that they love doing. Hmm. So when you look at being accountable, generally in that environment, what it is, is it's a boss or somebody else saying you're responsible. And then, you know, nothing gets managed or rarely does it ever get managed, right? Because no one wants to be perceived as a micromanager. So three weeks later on Friday afternoon at four o'clock, the boss says, oh, I forgot to ask Joe if it was done yet. Picks up the phone, calls you, doesn't check to see if you were the customer, doesn't check to see if you're in the middle of something mm. else. Starts out with, hey, where is that thing? Now, most people are caught off guard at that point. There's not a regularly scheduled time for that conversation to happen. So it just happens. And they're in the middle of other things. Their mind is not there and they get defensive. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being defensive. It's our natural way of protecting ourselves, right? But what's just happened is what I describe in chapter one of my book. A trigger has been hit. And that person now is going to waste 20 to 30 minutes of your time telling you why it's not done, um, why it wasn't started, hmm. you know, whatever it is. 
And I will just say this, if you're a manager or a business owner or a CEO and you have five or six direct reports, it's likely you're doing that to your people every week. And it's likely you're wasting a couple of hours a week listening to stuff you don't really care about because mm. you want to be polite in lieu of just saying, hey, hey, hold on. I got it's not done. I got you're going to get to it. I just want to know. I need the status. I need to actually know if you're committed to doing it. I need to know. But that's the, the thing about accountability versus being count onable. Because hmm. when you're in an environment that's count onable, people are confident in their skills and abilities. They know their strengths. You know their strengths. They know what they're good at. You know what they're good at. They know what they like doing. Right. But when you hired them and in that very last interview before you made them the offer, you said, oh, by the way, can you wash the dishes, too? Hmm. And, you know, they want the job. You want them for the job. You're just trying to fill a gap. Right. Well, what do you think they're going to say? Sure, I can wash the dishes with the best of them. <laughs> I mean, really, when my wife asks me to wash the dishes, what am I going to say? No, I'm not washing the dishes, right? I always say yes, and I promise I do get to them. Because when the sink stacks up, it's time. Yeah. Yeah, my first, in a business sense, my first kind of exposure to accountability is when I joined a peer group. I started my business in the 90s in a tech business. I, I know you were, you got, Borland bought you. I can't wait to talk about that, by the way. We were using Paradox for a long okay. time. And, but, um, well, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have no one that holds you accountable. You know, I didn't have any shareholders. So, uh, you know, and then I joined a peer group and all of a sudden I'm in a room with, you know, very like-minded, similar positioned uh, entrepreneurs that were starting to hold me accountable that I was meeting once a quarter face to face. And I was like, okay, wow. Okay. So now I really have to get some objectives done and some goals. And if I don't, you know, these, I'm going to disappoint these people. And so, um, it really, you know, it really kind of changed the way I looked at a, a accountability, but it, there was no shame in it, but I see how that happens sometimes in management where something get, doesn't get done and there's kind of shame brought on. Well, if you think about it this way, because first off, Joe, yes, 100%. And if you just, if, if you think about it from the opposite side of the coin for a second, there's what you're count onable for. And then there's what you're not count onable for. Hmm. Now, just think about, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you've had businesses, you may have had other jobs. I worked for big companies in the past, like IBM and my software company, we had, you know, 100 Fortune 500 Global 2000 co companies that we worked with. And, you know, the most important thing you can know in your business, in what you're doing, and in life is what you cannot count on someone for. Because hmm. if you know that, you won't waste two or three weeks waiting. Right. You'll go find the person you can count on for that. The problem that exists in most organizations is people want to be nice to each other. Mm 
mm-hmm. and they want to please their boss. And they don't realize that telling them yes and not delivering doesn't please their boss. It frustrates mm-hmm. them. Bosses assign things like doing the dishes, even though it's not what I want to do. It makes it last on my list. And so you've got, you've got this struggle. And here's how the struggle goes. You hire an A player for an A job. You give them wash the dishes. They disappoint you there and become a B player. Mm. Now they've got all these stories going around in their head about what just happened. And they become a C player and you want to get rid of them. Right? Mm. Or here's another good one. You say, can you do something for me? And they say, look, it's not really up my alley. I don't want to take that on. And you tell them, I really need you to take it on. And they say, look, you don't want me doing that. You need to find someone else. Wait, Mm. that scenario very rarely happens. Right. When it does, though, there's penalty. You've got a boss that's angry. You've got a company that's not counting on you for the things they want to count on you for. You've got an employee now that's frustrated and you've just put them in the penalty box. And this is not hockey. Like there is no penalty box in business. When you start misaligning your people with the wrong jobs, you're messing with their heads. And I got story after story about how my clients have done just that and figured out, wait, there's got to be a better way because there is. Very interesting. And you, you, you keep on mentioning count on a bull, which is, you know, what you talk about in the book versus accountable. And it's kind of your, your take on it. So there's more positive kind of connotations for it. Well, it is a more positive connotation. Think about it this way, Joey. Mm. To be accountable requires at least two people. And oh, by the way, if you're going to be accountable and you're going to hold someone to account, you've got to have clear expectations about what that means and looks like. So you've got to have like a regular meeting where you review what's going on and you know the status and are we keeping to it or are we not keeping to it? Um, but when you're countonable, that's me, just one person with the knowledge, the strength and the power to say, look, that's my bag. I'm totally in this one. Mm. It doesn't take two people to manage someone that's countonable for something, Hmm. but it does when you're accountable. And by the way, it's throughout the entire length of time an employee works for you. Right. Because if you think about people and what they want, people, a lot of people want to grow. Some people are comfortable where they're at. Hmm. But we do a really lousy job checking that out. We don't do a great job of figuring out, well, is my employee doing the thing they love doing, they're good at, caters to their strengths? Is that going on? By the way, Joey, what um, what would you call it if an employee was doing a job that catered to their strengths, that they were good at, and that they loved doing? What would I call it? Yeah, if you're the employer. 
beneficial. Right. Totally. They'd probably be like your dream employee. <laughs> yes. And you know what happens with your dream employee? They usually stick around. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to replace them. You don't have to take all of that body of knowledge about the job and the culture and stuff it into someone else's head. Oh, by the way, you don't have to spend nearly the amount of money looking to put new people into roles and then figure out, are they the right one or not? Like you don't, you don't have that. So, you know, there are a lot of impacts by not having an, in, a culture of count on ability. Now, can't you have great accountability just with just managing expectations properly and having good project management software? And then there's really no guessing and there's no checking on things. And, you know, if those checks and balances are in place. You may. It's possible. Hmm. The thing is, is that how do you guarantee it? Right. You know, there are a lot of great management operating systems out there for companies. Uh I've studied a bunch of them. A couple that come to mind are things like the Entrepreneur Operating System, EOS. Oh, no, well. And um, Scaling Up. Uh, but there's a, there's a whole slew of them. And they do one thing really, really well. They help people get the framework for how things ought to go. Um, over the years, and I spent eight years um, – focusing on building my my system and tested it with over 300 companies and refined it. But it really started out in Fortune 500 technology departments in the early 2000s when I had my software company because what we did was we helped implement agile development processes for software development in Fortune 500 and Global 2000 companies. So what I learned there and carried forward was the ability to create an agile management system for businesses that empowers people. Because you're right. If you have a system and it's working, you don't need to hear the rest of this conversation. You're making profit. You're doing well. My heart goes out to you. You're one of, you know, a fraction of the companies out there doing that. Um, and if you're not, it's okay. There's nothing wrong. Like you're doing everything that you do to run your business. But what's often missing is how, right? You get a management framework structure from EOS or scaling up or something. And they say things like you need the right person doing the right job at the right time. Right. And Joe, there's not a single person I know that would not agree with that. Hmm. There's just one question. How do you know it's the right person? Hmm. How do you know it's the right job? How do you know it's the right time? <laughs> so what I did was I took that question and I answered it. I came up with a very simple structure and then started refining it iteratively. Like, oh, this client, it goes this way with this many employees and that way, right? until we got to a stable environment where people can count on a system that says, here's how many meetings a month you have and with who. 
Here's how many meetings a quarter you have and with who. Here's what you say in those meetings. Here's how you avoid wasting two or three hours a week triggering your people. Mm. And I, I made the book um, very consumable for people like me that have ADD. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I look at a book that's got 50 pages in a chapter and I think, oh, I need an hour and a half to consume this or two hours or whatever it is. And um, I'll do it later. So I never read like that. So every chapter in my book is three to four pages long. Every single chapter is a story about my life and what's happened in it to have me get to where I am. Uh, stories about clients I've worked with that have helped me refine the system and what it's done for them. And some success stories, right? Like, here's how you get from point A to point B. And... What I'm finding, and it's funny, you know, you talk to people that are kind of old school about books. My mom is a great example, and I love her dearly. But, you know, at 90, she's not thinking like you and I think. She's thinking, Jeff, this is not your standard book. You've got to fix that. <laughs> yeah, perhaps she's not the direct audience. You know, it's accountability is also a straight, like when I, I had, I was very heavy <clears throat> and, um, you know, the doctor said, you're not going to, you know, see your daughter graduate, mm -hmm. uh, if you continue doing so, I just took it upon myself and I just held myself accountable. In fact, I didn't tell anyone that I was working out every day. Of course, my family noticed and everything and I was eating less, but I never said, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. Here's my goal. I just took it upon myself. Now that's in a, that's a degree of accountability as well. It absolutely is. And you had a serious motivator for that. Right. You know, and frankly, it's something you took on. You took ownership of it. You said, I'm going to come hell or high water. This is my life. This is how my life is going to go. You know, it's fascinating. I always bring it down to discipline. You know, people ask me, how'd you lose 130 pounds? Like there's some secret to it or something. And I just say, well, just discipline. You know, I just put my nose down. But there's a, a large degree of accountability in discipline. Would you agree? There is. And I would shift what you're calling accountability slightly. And I would say, like, you became count honorable for what you wanted. Now, here's the thing. I get why people take pride in using the word accountability, especially when they're successful with it, like you were, Joe. Like there's pride in that. Right. The fact of the matter is, is that there's really only one person in a company that's accountable. It's generally the CEO or founder. Right. But when you take on a personal mission, and it's your mission. It's a whole new level of what you want yourself to be as a person. And, you know, that's a lot different than when you have a job or a role or a something. I, I, would, I would map that more to, you know, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Started out when I was eight. The story's in the book. Um, 
and as as an entrepreneur, um, my whole life, I still worked for big companies like IBM. I worked at IBM twice, and I've worked for other software companies. But there was a time in my career I noticed I didn't want to be a sales guy. That wasn't what I wanted anymore. But when I needed work, when everything had gone awry, and I had to shut my business down, and I lost everything, and I needed a job, like you could have asked me to wash the dishes, and I'd have said yes. Mm. And as I grew out of needing the job because I had it, and I was good at it, I was doing all the stuff I do, I went to a place where this wasn't the job I wanted. Hmm. And guess what? My employer didn't notice. I became a B player. And it happens all the time. It's like my mission in life is to create entrepreneurial freedom for business owners hmm. and CEOs and um, entrepreneurs. And you can't do that if you're, if you're a sales guy. I, I had to have this vehicle that I'm driving now to do it. And it had me be in a much different place. And it took several years to really marinate in it to get to where I am. So I 100% respect the commitment that you had toward healthy lifestyle because I think that um, great things come out of what we're committed to personally and professionally. And that's being count onable. Accountability is when someone says, Joe, I need you to wash the dishes. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate the compliment and I, I, I think about that often about, but I just have the attitude, Jeff, that is I put myself there, so I'm going to get myself out of it. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And it's a mixture of discipline and, you know, and, and prioritization and family and love and accountability. And it's just a, a big combination of that. I want to go back to the one point you made about you know, your business failed and you got a job. I mean, I had, I started my business in 93 and I'm, I'm virtually, I feel unemployable at this time. Uh, I've just been doing it for so long and I just can't imagine, although every one of my clients is my boss. I, you know, people say it must be nice not having a boss. I have more bosses now than I've ever had, you know, but I do get to control my schedule. What was that shift like when you had to, you know, you know, get a job after that? It sucked. Yeah. So here's the way it went. I started my software company like 2003. We actually started right at the beginning of the year. And we had clients right away and we grew rapidly. Like we had 50 people in two years. It was rapid, rapid uh, growth. And um, you, know, you mentioned Borland. We actually became Borland's number one services delivery partner. Wow. Uh, they bought a company, two companies. They bought TogetherSoft and Starbase both at the same time, closed the deals at the end of 2002. And then their very first step in closing the um, deals was they let go of all the professional services staff 
And Borland was really good at selling boxes of software. Delphi, C++, Java, like Paradox. Paradox. Buy a box. Yeah, I still may have some. All right, exactly. (laughs) TogetherSoft was a solution that required, um, you know, a team, right? It was a sport, not just a box. Right. And same thing with Starbase. And so uh, both TogetherSoft and Starbase were partners at the time. Um, I lived in Southern California, still do, and Starbase was headquartered here. So I knew all of the execs over there. Um, and then when they let go of all the professional services from both companies, I turned to one of my buddies who wrote a book on Agile Process, and I said, hey, what would you think about filling this gap that's going to show up on January 1st? He goes, yeah, let's do it. And he became the accidental entrepreneur, and I drove it. And we started a business, and you know, it was kind of funny. We called the company Process Exchange. Yeah. But we left the space out between the words because that was the model at the time. Yes. And if you do that, um, then some people got drawn to the middle of the word, which right. left them with sex change. Yeah. And um, I quickly got a call from someone at Borland saying, hey, you know that guy over at that sex change company? <laughs> <laughs> Beware, people. <laughs> yes. It was the biggest flub that was a great thing for us to flub because it became memorable. Mm. Um And in any case, we grew very quickly. We hired all of the people that were let go from Starbase and and Together Software, at least a a lot of them. Um, And we grew. And we owned the professional services until a couple other companies started. But uh, 2007 Hmm. was a bad year for a lot of people. Yes. Yes. The market crashed. And we had all of our resources deployed in companies. And all at the same time, every one of those companies reached out and said, we love you guys. You're fired. Same thing happened to us. It's horrible. And yeah. And so I was making these energy bars at home at the time. My family loved them. Um, My friends kept telling me, Jeff, you you should do that as a business. They didn't get what it takes to start a business. They're just committed that I do something. And Anyway, one day a friend of mine came over. His name was Jeff, too. He says, hey, Jeff, can I take some of these to work? I'm like, sure, here, take some. Next day he calls me up. Hey, Jeff, can you come down here? I'm like, why? He goes, well, they want to buy them. Really? Okay. So I, I went down, and before I knew it, I was selling energy bars to 20 TV shows and movies on the Warner Brothers lot. And one thing kind of rolled into another, and my sister decided to join me in the business because she was in real estate at the time, which for those of us that remember the time, there was no real estate market. Um, And she got us in Whole Foods, and then she found out about these auditions for this new little show that was opening up. And at five in the morning on a Sunday, I went downtown LA with her, and I auditioned for Shark Tank. Shark Tank, yeah. And I was in the very first season, in the fifth episode. And um, 
I got called radioactive by Kevin O'Leary. He says, you went bankrupt. You'll never have a bank. You're radioactive. Goodbye. And the most extraordinary thing happened then. Hmm. Robert Herkiewicz stood up for me and they fought for about 10 or 15 minutes. And Robert said something that was really memorable for me. He goes, Kevin, the strength of a man is not shown in how many times they fall down. It's shown in how many times they get back up. And I really took that personally. Like, it really drove me. And we never got funding from Shark Tank. Um, but we were the very first company, the very first, that they ever aired a success story on. Hmm. Because before the show aired, my sister and I closed a national arrangement with Safeway. And we suddenly went from hundreds of stores to thousands of stores. And they heard about that and they're like, oh, we want that. And, you know, it's real pride that I get to to say that. And it was just a, you know, mid six figure business, but um, but it was fun. Going from that, though, and realizing there's just not enough money in the food business to make it work. Hmm. Was I went back to my old boss at IBM who um, I wrote a, a chapter about about that experience because she's the most gracious and wonderful person you could imagine. And I totally in early in my relationship with her totally was on the verge of like messing it up. And I learned, I learned some really important lessons. I've got a whole chapter on that in the book, but it was really like, okay, I need a job. I just, you know, and and she introduced me to the right people. I got a great job. I got back on the on track. I was working with clients like Kaiser and Intel, companies I'd worked with when I had my software company. You know, it was like, this is what we were doing. And along the way, in that, I realized I don't want to be a software sales guy. Mm. I really want to help companies not go through what I went through. Because I remember, not only did I not have any freedom, but I was in survival mode. Like, am I going to have enough money to make my payroll this week? You know, I mortgaged my house more times than you could imagine to make payroll, to keep my people. Like, there were huge, huge mistakes. And by the way, no question is off limits. So you want to know about those? I think people learn a lot more from me sharing how I screwed up and what I did to recover than they will if I just tell them how, how successful I've been mm. and how many companies I've helped. But I took a two-year program in 2013 called the Team Management and Leadership Program, and I learned that I was a shitty boss. Like I'm really, like I, I screwed up mm. and people wanted to work for us just because the sheer momentum we had was exciting. 
but I didn't treat people nearly the way I would have wanted to be treated. And I also identified that there were some big gaps and I got about 50 CEOs and business owners and entrepreneurs together. And we started looking at what wasn't working in companies. And that was the very beginning of the Next Level 90 Business Accelerator program that I run, which is how you go from being accountable to being countdownable. So I just shared an awful lot there. I kind of feel like I've, I've given it to you with a fire hose. And I just want to check in like, you know, what's landed there for you, Joe? There's nothing like the sleep the night before where you don't know if you're going to make payroll the next day. You know, there's not, nobody, I can't, I don't know how anybody, you know, 30 years, almost 30 years I've been business owner. I've never missed a payroll, but wow, have we come close, you know, and letting your people down is just a great, great burden, Jeff. And you had a mortgage to your house to do that. It's incredible. Yeah, I had some amazing people that did really extraordinary things. And I don't know that I ever really acknowledged them the way they needed to be, the way they should be. Like, And, you know, to any of those people that I left, like less than, I'm sorry. Mm. I'm just sorry. I don't, you know, I mean, there were a lot of things in my life that I've, messed up on and it really takes something to bring it back. And the more people's lives you touch, the more magnified those errors become. But the biggest ones that killed me were the ones I did with my family. Mm. Cause when you're in survival mode and you're not sleeping and, you know, we look at mental health a lot differently today than we did back then. And it wasn't healthy for me to sit on the couch watching Star Trek for eight to 10 hours a day. And I pushed my wife and my kids away and created the environment where no one wanted to be around me. And I'm telling you, you know, it's lonely. And, you know, I would just like the only piece of advice I'll give anybody today is if you're like that, just talk to somebody. Hmm a friend, a psychologist, a coach, find someone and talk to them because nothing will ever improve if you're just counting on what's going to go on between your ears. Our self-talk is almost never good. Mm. Yeah. Well, well said. You know, I've messed up on, I've mismanaged many employees, you know, and I've, uh, you know, I haven't done the best job. I just, I just hope that the, you know, clients and, 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 uh, employees and partners that, you know, I had maybe not with me now or still with me now, just, you know, uh, I did have best intentions in mind, but I don't know if it, uh, it showed every time and it, it, it can be lonely. It can, it can be lonely, but we move on now and we talk about how we can move better in the future, Jeff. What is the perfect candidate for you and your system? Well, so first off, 
The system is industry and company agnostic because it's a process, right? And with every organization, there's a way of implementing a process to have it work. Now, in the book, I actually, so just so you know, I'm the patent is pending on this process. But what I've done in the book is I have open sourced it. Anybody can come to the countonable.com website. They can download all of the assets. They can, um, you know, book a, um, a call with me or someone on my team if they need some support. They want to be part of a group that, that works on shifting their culture using this system. Like that is all for them. And what, what really it's all about is um, the step-by-step, like what are the things you need? And they don't differ by industry. The things that differ by industry and company size are some of the how do you do things. Like a company with 10 employees is going to have one executive, maybe two. But a company with a thousand is going to have dozens. Yes. Right? And this is a process that can scale for that. And what it does is two things. First off, it helps the CEO to have alignment in their organization. So, what do I mean by that? Well, the CEO has a vision, right? And the vision that the CEO has needs to be communicated along with what the priority of the actions that need to be taken in that vision. The thing that I found out when I was working with these 50 companies I I told you about in the beginning was that they all um, found that communication was an issue. How'd they find it out? Because frankly, when we first started talking, they all said, No, no, we have good communication. But I define effective communication as knowing Hmm. that someone else actually understood what you said. And I'm going to give you a very simple example, and it's not business related, but it's totally relatable. So my wife and I are foster to adopt parents. We have a beautiful one-year-old girl. Uh, The other weekend, we were with our friends. The women all went out. The husbands had the babies. I have a one-year-old. My buddy has a seven-year-old, beautiful little girl. We took the wagon. We put them both in it. The seven-year-old is so excited to be mommying the one-year-old, right? Hmm. We go to dinner. We finish that. They get back in the wagon, go to frozen yogurt. As we're pulling up to frozen yogurt, I turn my head around and I see my one-year-old standing up holding on to the side for dear life. Yeah, I said, stop. (laughs) I walked over, I put her down. And I looked at the seven-year-old. I said, hey, did you notice that? She was standing. Yeah, I told you. I said, oh. I said, hey, could I ask you a favor? She goes, yeah, what? I said, well, next time you want to tell me something, especially something important like that, would you be kind enough to make sure I answer you? 
Mm-hmm. And she said the famous two words that we hear in business everywhere and all over our lives. Got it. Went back to her video game. Just like that. Now, that's the point in time that most of us walk away and say, good. This is done. We're handled, right? I didn't. I said, hey, I'm just curious. Can you tell me what you got? Hmm. Her head down for another 15 seconds. Literally, five seconds ticked by, 10 seconds ticked by. She lifts her head and she says, I should tell you and make sure that I hear you answer me. I said, perfect. Thank you. So that that was the instance where it really got set for her. Mm. Otherwise, I don't know that I could count on her to do that. But what we do in life, in work, in management, is we hear got it and we just move on. Right. And then we don't manage the got it. So communication's out and it's ineffective. And if you have a leader's vision, you prioritize the actions and you have effective communication, which is what I just created with you. Yeah. It's possible that all of your executives that are now in sports cars on different freeways going different places could be on the same bus going 55 miles an hour and getting there at the same time and supporting each other along the way. So that's alignment. It's one of three frameworks that I created for the book. Another one is trust. What does trust say? Well, it says you need to know that everyone shares some values. You need to know what the ability of people is. And then, miraculously enough, you might have effective communication. Because if you do, it's possible. Not guaranteed, but it's possible. Trust could exist. Hmm. And then there's the one level deeper of trust. Trust in what? Does my boss have my back? Is my company looking out for me? Like, what does that actually mean? Right? But it takes some things. And then you put the two of them together and mash it all up. And now the one thing that you add, because this is the game changer. When most people communicate, especially Friday afternoon at four o'clock when they want to know where the job is that was supposed to be done four weeks ago. It's emotional. Hmm. And you're not thinking about the outcome you want. What are you thinking about? You're thinking about how you feel and what you want and why you're pissed. And I have clients that I always talk about the outcome with, and I've got an amazing client. He's got a science. He's, he's got doctors that are certifying in this science and all of that. And yet when he gets mad, he just kills them off. 
Like, how are you going to grow a business if you're killing people off? And I just keep on talking about what is the outcome you want? Because at the end of the day, Joe, there's two angles to it. One is you can get what you want. And the other one is you can, I'm sorry, my Alexa just went off. Alexa, off. <laughs> not sure how that happened, but yay. That's ridiculous. You, there's, there's two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? There's you can get what you want or you can be right. Being right has you be emotional. Getting what you want has you check what you say at the door. Before you mm-hmm. say it, remember what you want. Because I guarantee you, if you're emotional to an employee, now you're going to take them out. Right. And they'll be thinking about how they pissed you off for days, and that'll impact their performance and their customer relationships and all of that. So true. So I outlined how do you avoid triggering people? How do you empower people? How do you create leaders that create leaders in your company? Mm -hmm. I actually give you simple steps and a regular schedule to follow because it's really not rocket science and there's not a whole lot from my process that's never been done before. It's just... I went to the hairdresser, we put in some blue highlights, we put in some green highlights, we trimmed it up a little bit, and we called it Count Audible. How do you differentiate, and I have this discussion often between leadership and management? Well, there's actually three things I think I would distinguish there. There's leadership, there's management, and then there's micromanagement. Mm. So let's start out with micromanagement, right? Remember that trust framework I just told you about? On the opposite end of that is micromanagement. (laughs) Mm. And I define micromanagement as telling your people what to do, and the exact steps they have to take to get that job done. Oh my God, can I have any freedom in my life? Mm. Can you give me a chance to use my brain and have an outcome and learn something? No, you have to do it this way. Okay, so it's really important to distinguish that because I think a lot of people think that's management. So what Next Level 90 is, is it's a management structure. And it's a coaching program because, let's face it, people get a lot more out of coming to conclusions themselves than they do when you tell them. And sometimes advisory is what you need to be for people. You do that all the time and they don't grow. Leadership is creating an environment in your business and on your team where others are managing. And it puts you in a position where as a business owner or CEO or an executive, you can take a two-week vacation. 
and be out of touch, not be working for two to four hours a day. Be with your family, because after all, isn't this who you're doing all of this stuff for anyway? Right? And then finally, you know, a lot of people want to have an exit, but only about 10 to 20% of the businesses that want to exit ever do. And the ones that do, where the CEO or business owner is the most important person in the company, usually have an earnout of like five years. Hmm. And when that happens, the likelihood of them getting paid the earnout diminishes dramatically because they'll never figure out how to hand the business off to someone else. And they'll never get away from it. So leadership is creating other people that lead and create managers in the company. Very interesting. It's bringing people up. Again, the name of the book, Count Onable, a practical guide to lift, shift, and empower you and your team. Hmm. Very important. I, we touched upon discipline earlier uh, in the conversation when I mentioned the weight loss and everything. I wonder, uh, do you consider yourself disciplined? Do you consider your, your process uh, to uh, undertake a lot of discipline? No. I am the least disciplined person you'll ever meet. Really? It really took something for me to learn how to be accountable in that two-year program. Mm. And even more importantly, I used my calendar in the past just very ineffectively. It was in that program I really learned how to use it. I have a whole chapter in my book about the calendar. Why? Because, God, if you're going to be effective in life, you got to know what you got going on. I mean, if I just show you, like my wife and I, we're foster to adopt parents, right? She has a really successful coaching business. I have a really successful business. That's an example of what our calendar looks like. Nice. The blue's me, the red's her. Oh, by the way, yeah. we do not have childcare for our one-year-old. Wow. She is with me or my wife. We have a little bit of help every once in a while, but we do not have childcare. We are raising her. And I will tell you, the more you do, the more you're capable of doing. And what you will learn in the book about leadership and management and discipline is if it's on the calendar, it gets done. If it's not on the calendar, it doesn't. Um, and I got to tell you, when I, when I store those things up here and I don't put them on the calendar or I don't have them in my priority action list, they get forgotten. They don't get done. And it's really, really difficult for me now to work with someone that doesn't um, keep that priority action list alive, especially when I hire vendors or when I hire people to work for me. Like I need to see where we're at. It's not micromanagement to have all of the key priorities on a list to know who's going to do them, how important they are, when they're going to be done by. And by the way, 
It's that list that is the keys to the kingdom for defining what people are count-onable or not count-onable for. Hmm. And I know we're running out of time here in a few minutes, but I'm telling you, the biggest cost we all know for big companies and small ones, and the hardest thing to do is recruit good people. Yeah. And if you're not keeping up on what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what they're good at, what they're bad at, and making sure that you don't assign them the wrong things, then you're missing the boat. And it's no wonder you're spending as much money as you're spending trying to fill slots that were just filled last week. Hmm. Hmm. What motivates you, Jeff Cohen? You know, it's funny. I had this conversation with someone the other day. Because I come out of a sales background. And in the 90s, what motivated me was money. Yeah. Right? I want to make $50,000, $100,000 a month, not a year. Right? I want to have the life that, like, fills everybody up. But, you know, you get to a point in life where you start seeing there are so many good things you can do for people. You know, I took my Next Level 90 program and I started doing it for a nonprofit in the San Fernando Valley and I helped probably about 30 or 40 minority um, women that own businesses and got them in the program. We had extraordinary results. And, you know, there's wow. tremendous pride. Like one of the women who I just love to death, she started a social media marketing business. And when she was in the program in 90 days, took it from zero to $10,000 a month and got to move out of the shelter that she was living in with her son and have an apartment. I mean, come on. What motivates me? Like, I want people to be their best and do their best. They have it inside of them. It's just, for most people, that definition is, as long as I can do it and it's me, I'm good. And they shy away from having a team. What motivates me is showing people and training and developing them so they can be effective team leaders and managers. It's not the best salesperson that should become the sales manager. Mm. It's the person that can best train the next manager that should be the next manager. That's what motivates me. There are not enough effective teams out there. And if you have a company and your team is ineffective, it's on you, buddy. You get to own that. You're accountable for the success your people have. And you either support it in a way that's effective or they leave you. By the way, that's the survey. Mm. They've just filled the survey out when they say I quit. They're unhappy. And they're not the only ones. I'm telling you, if you don't learn how to lift your people up, shift the mindset and empower them, 
you'll never get what you really want. Again, what motivates me? I am creating that 100,000 businesses will be empowered to have freedom for everybody. And the owner can have the business run with, no, not run, grow with and without them. That's what motivates me. I saw the video testimonial, that woman on your website. It was touching. It was uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, very, very touching and very moving. Uh, I encourage everyone to take a, a look at that. And how do you measure success, Jeff? I would imagine it's- similar. How do I measure success? You know, everybody measures success differently, right? Um, so in my program, we actually create what are our business objectives for one to three years out? Um, because oftentimes that's really a dream and not an objective. And then we create milestones every 90 days and we manage to milestones. And every 90 days, what happens is you get better at identifying what effective completion looks like. Because when you set milestones and miss them by a mile, all that it means is that it was a dream. Like I'll give you a great example. Um, there's a great, my, my editor did an amazing job on the book. There's a chapter he takes my analogy and just brings it to a whole new level. When I work with someone, I want them to have a dream. That dream is akin to being on top of the roof of the tallest building in your city. You can walk all the way around the roof and you know exactly what it looks like. But there's no elevator that goes up to the roof. You got to walk down the staircase. Hmm. And the minute you walk down that first flight of stairs, you no longer can see what you just saw. You have to remember it. It's got to be visceral and inside of you to remember it. Well, then you walk down another flight of stairs. Where are you then? And so we work backwards from what we want to where we are. And the disconnect that often happens is when I say to someone at 90 days, what do you want sales to be at in the next 90 days? And they say, I want to have a million dollars of sales. And great. So if you have a million and 90, where would you be in 60? Well, it'd be 500,000. Awesome. Now, where would you be in 30? Well, we'd at least have a quarter million. Okay. What'd you do last quarter? Well, we did 100,000. Is that a dream? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something we haven't talked about that's coming. It's a seasonal business or whatever, and the revenue is going to ramp to 10x in one quarter. More often than not, the answer to that is no. But getting them now to say, okay, well, do you have enough time, money, people, and resources to 10x your business? Because it's possible in 90 days, you totally could do it. You just got to throw enough resource at it, possibly. Or on the flip side, we can look at it and say, well, let's look at your resources what do you have? A stretch goal might now be 200,000, not a million. Mm -hmm. 
A real goal might be 150. <clears throat> but it really takes something for people to figure out what their goals and objectives are. Because they set those goals and objectives, they tell people about them, and when they miss them by a mile, do you know what happens? They never complete it. Mm. So everyone's left with, well, Joe's a pie-in-the-sky guy. He'll always set these big goals, but we don't have to hit those. Where's the health of the company going to go if that's the, the mindset? Mm. So we continually refine our goals and objectives. And we work with every executive and every executive's team so they can have goals and objectives that can be effective. And there's nothing wrong if we miss the mark. It helps us learn how to hone in on setting effective goals and objectives. Because when you do that, now all of those resources you need, it gets a lot clearer what, how you can systematize your, your business. You know, if you know you need eight, you need eight salespeople to get to a million dollars a quarter and you have two today, you get to keep testing that as you grow. Is it really eight, right? Or is there anything else I can do to make it seven? So those are some of the things that I think are really important. Very well said. Jeff, thanks so much for your time today. Learned so much. I appreciate you going deep. Uh, and um, talking about some of the low and higher points of the career. And so tell us how we can get in touch with you. How can we get your book, uh, your your social media tags, et cetera, please? Okay, great. So first off, um, I'm everywhere pretty much. Um, uh, and so you can find me on LinkedIn and, and Instagram and YouTube and uh, Twitter and there may be others. Um, that my team is keeping us up on. Um, and one thing, I do have a bit of anonymity. Some of you guys may recognize the name Jeff Cohen. You may know another Jeff Cohen. Yeah. There's about a million of us in the world. Right. Um, so I have some anonymity. Um, but I am the only one out there associated with Count Onable. And I will spell it for you. It's C-O-U-N-T. O-N-A-B-L-E. So I own the website, countonable.com. Please come visit. Make sure to download all of the assets from the book are there, all of the, the, the lists, the graphs, the charts, the uh, uh, assessments. It's all there. And engage with the community. And if you're wanting to implement um, – account audible culture and you want some support, there's a few options you'll have. I invite you to click on and, you know, reach out to me or my team in order to learn more about it and how we could get to support you. Um, and, you know, I'm really, I'm really interested in how you succeed in your life and in your business there's nothing more fulfilling to me right now than raising this one-year-old. Hmm. And I love doing business, hmm. but prioritize people and get out of 
survival mode. Get into the life that you've created where you have freedom to do what is important in your life. Because you may be remembered by the achievements you have in business. You'll definitely be remembered by the people in your family for what you did with them. Hmm. Can I leave everybody with just one other thought? Very well said, please. Okay. So this is to you that's looking at me right now or listening to me right now. Stop just being accountable. Be countonable. Be the person I know I can count on or not. Well said, Jeff Cohen. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You have a great day. Thank you so much, Joe. It's really been a pleasure talking with you today. And thanks for pulling everything out of me you did. I think I shed a, a tear or two and we had a few good laughs and we should do more of that. And we absolutely should. Thanks again. Talk to you real soon. You bet. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? Twenty-five dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pin's Discipline Conversation.